It's 1209, Jeff Brackham, 620 WTMJ. Big show coming up today. Yeah, as I was just telling Steve, I, I, if, I, I, if you follow me on Twitter, I, I send out some of the things to give you an advanced look at what we're going to talk about. And um, last night, ESPN, 30 for 30. Ric Flair, arguably one of the greatest professional wrestlers ever. Um, a fascinating behind-the-scenes documentary, and he's talking about the life on the road, and it was just absolutely interesting. And it, I know a lot of us grew up here watching The Crusher and The Bruiser and Mad Dog Vashon and the AWA, and I'm not embarrassed to admit I was a professional wrestling fan. We're going to talk about the Flair documentary a little bit and take a walk down memory lane in the 2 o'clock hour of the program, so stick around for that. <laughs> One of the things he says is, I, I think I've slept with 10,000 women, and I, I was watching this with my wife. And she's like, "This, how can that be? <laughs> you know, how how can that be?" And I said, "I have no idea, hun. No, no idea at all." All right, we start off today's program like we start off every program. Three big things. Here's the story we've been talking about all morning here on News Radio 620 WTMJ. Matter of fact, if you if you want to see some of the pictures of this, um, you can text the word flag F L A G to 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can actually see some of the illustrations of what it is that we are talking about. Now, let me back up. Last Saturday, it was my honor, and I, I say that literally, it was my honor to MC for the sixth consecutive year an event put on by the city of Waukesha called Operation Honor, and it, it's, it's a salute to veterans. And uh, they do it every year. Uh, this year, the featured speaker was a, a guy who works with uh, veterans who are coming back from overseas deployments who have trouble, you know, dealing with some of the transitions to civilian life. Um, they, they have the, the Great Lakes band shows up and performs, in general, patriotic songs. And then they have a, a dinner, a catered dinner that they put on for like 500 people. And it's it's just a wonderful event. When when we got there, it was 4.30 on Saturday afternoon, last Saturday. When we got there, there were veterans who were standing in the hallways. And what would happen is, is you'd walk in, they'd give you a program, and they, they'd give you a little American flag. And that was the idea. Everybody that showed up at this event got a little American flag. Now, I was very curious, and as a matter of fact, I, I was mentioning this to my wife. One of the things that really struck me as... We were we were leaving the event is everybody who had gotten the flag. We're talking hundreds of people, not tens of thousands, but hundreds. Everybody had their American flags with them. You didn't see flags in the trash. You didn't see flags, you know, on on the ground. This was at the recreation center in the in downtown Waukesha. You didn't see flags on the ground. You didn't see flags in the trash. You didn't see flags that were left on tables. I mean, people. People took the flags, and then, I mean, I don't know what they did with them. Ultimately, when they got into their cars or they got home, all I'm saying is I did not see the flags turn into litter. Well, that's apparently not what happened Monday night in Green Bay. And again, if you text us the word flag, F-L-A-G, to 414-799-1620, you can see um, some illustrations of what did happen. But, I mean, here's the story. Again, it's it's the week before Veterans Day. The Green Bay Packers handed out small American flags during the game as part of the NFL's Salute to Service military campaign. And during the national anthem, everybody was waving the flags and singing. However, what a number of people noticed is that by halftime, 
many of these flags were discarded. Um, the story I'm looking at on today's TMJ4 quotes, you know, one of the people there saying, hey, we, we started noticing people leaving flags on the ground next to food wrappers and beer cups. We found a couple on the bathroom floor. One woman says, the veterans I was with, they started to get a little upset. After the game, the flags were seen everywhere. It looked like red, white, and blue confetti. People were walking all over them. It struck me as incredibly unpatriotic. Um, after the game, several fans were going around trying to police the area and, and pick up um, pick up the flags, but lots of people were just walking out, and they were throwing them on on the ground. The Packers, this is what they say. We distributed more than 77,000 United States flags as part of the salute to service theme of the game. We were particularly pleased with how they contributed to the festive atmosphere of the game, especially during the national anthem. We received a lot of positive feedback. We have other fan giveaways, and this one was very popular. Our stadium and guest services teams picked up any flags they noticed on the ground. All right. I do not blame the Green Bay Packers for giving out the flags. Somebody else might. I, I don't. I, I don't. There was this promotion before your time, Grew, who's producing the show today. There was a year in the late 90s, back when the Brewers still played at County Stadium, they gave out baseballs on opening day. All right, what could go wrong with this? Let's think this through. You have people who've been drinking for a day and a half. You show up. It's outside, this is with County Stadium, it's cold, and you give them hard, round objects. Well, the game got stopped a couple times. It was almost had to be forfeited because people were throwing the baseballs out on the ground. Not a very smart move. Okay, so, I mean, I think it was fair to criticize the Brewers for not anticipating that, gee, a bunch of drunks would throw baseballs out on the field. In this case, I don't criticize the Packers for for giving out the flags as part of a Veterans Day thing, just like I don't criticize Operation Honor and the veterans for giving out flags at the things I attended on on Saturday afternoon. Uh, but, but, but there is criticism to go around. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think it is nothing short of appalling. Not that the Packers gave out the flags, but that you have hundreds, probably thousands of people who took the flags, who then decided we're just going to leave them on the bathroom floors, we're going to throw them on the ground, we're going to step over them. You know, we talk a lot about patriotism, and there's a lot of negative feedback to some of the things the NFL players are doing, but what about some of the Packers fans who discarded their flags? Do they deserve criticism? And my answer is yes. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is this on the Packers? Is it on the fans or is it, well, what's the big deal? It's just a piece of you know, cloth or a piece of plastic. 414-799-1620. If you're on the line, please hold on. I don't blame the Packers for giving them out. I just think the response of some of these fans who took the flags and then decided they weren't going to take them home and they decided to throw them on the ground instead, that to me is what is absolutely appalling. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 1216. It's 1218. Jeff Wagner, 620-WTMJ. Let's start with Julie in Milwaukee. Julie, you're first. Good afternoon. Well, hi. hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. We were at the game. We Milwaukee package um, holders. So we've been up when they've given away a lot of things at the game. And at the first, when we were handed the flags, we thought, oh, 
there's been people drinking all day. You're handing everybody a stick. Yeah. <laughs> um, to poke at everybody, that, especially those Detroit fans. But um, it was a mess afterwards. And, and yet when you are sitting in there packed in with your winter coats, there's nowhere to go. With We ended up getting two flags each, and um, they were everywhere. My husband said they were on top of the urinals when he went into the bath. Yeah. They were all over the, the ground. He ended up taking his fabric, the flag itself, off of the stick and put the sticks on the ground put the fabric flag in his pocket because he wasn't about to, to put it on the ground, um, which was a good solution, but they were everywhere. Yeah. Um, I, we were wishing there were so many other um, things they could have done. This maybe would have been an opportunity to have an American flag towel like they've had well, right. so many times. I think it wasn't the best, the best choice. Um, again, with the stick and what do you do with them? So right. we were holding. So do you fault the Packers? Do you do you fault the Packers or the fans? Well, I don't think there was much. I, I mean, I fault the fans that threw the flags on the ground. I think that's yeah. just we have a a son in the military. We you know we we respect our flag greatly, um, and we you know would have never put them on the ground. Yeah. But with that being said, you have people that have been drinking all day right. long. They're going to, by the third quarter, the game was not the nicest game to be watching, frankly, and they just didn't care. Yeah, no. and and, sight of what they had. Well, right. Thanks to Noah. And I'm sure that's exactly what the dynamic is. So you might say to me, what would you do with the flag? Under a circumstance like that, I I think that's when I'm taking the flag, stick and all, and I'm... I'm I'm putting it in my jacket pocket, you know, like the interior pocket where you put your glasses and things like that. That's what I would... That's what I would do with them. Um, I, I know, at least I like to think, that I would not throw it on the ground, or that's one that if you're there with your wife or your significant other, somebody who's carrying a purse, you kind of say, hey, can we roll this one up around the stick, and can we put it in your in your purse? Um, but but whatever you do, I, and I'm not going to get, I'm not going to allow drinking to be an excuse for this. I mean, you, you shouldn't be throwing the things on on the ground if you don't want it. Don't take it. I will tell you, I go to Lambeau Field occasionally, a couple games a year. This time, I think I'm going to go a week from Sunday. Um, and and they, they give you stuff as you go in. I know sometimes people like to take the things. Sometimes it's stuff that I don't want. I just say no as I'm going in. No, I, I don't need that because I don't want to carry it. Um, but there is a difference. If you make the decision, you're accepting the flag. I think you have some responsibility to, you know, deal with this. Um, let's talk to Mary in Brookfield. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. I was also at the game. I'm a season ticket holder. We were so excited to get that flag. Everybody in my the three roads around us, including the Detroit fans, we were like, this is awesome. We're in Monday Night Football. We're going to be an right. example for the country and they released the eagle who flew around and the fireworks and we were standing proudly and singing and waving our flag and we didn't notice any packers kneeling we thought this is amazing but i have to tell you i had to leave early so i didn't see what it looked like at the end because it i had to drive back to milwaukee by myself but um, my flag was destroyed by the middle of the first quarter as were many of the flags held by people around us. They were really cheap, stapled on. Mine went flying. I couldn't yeah. even grab it. People around us, so we were all bundled up. Nobody had purses or bags, so we were like, well, we're holding our program and one brought and a beer in the other uh, hand. I didn't even drink, but people and people around us were well-behaved. 
there was no place to put it. I was like, do we put it on the ground? We didn't fit next to us. We're all smashed in there. And I think what they should have done, because I think all the flags that went flying, I haven't, mine probably ended up in the ground and looked like, and the people around us went, oh my God, there goes my flag. They're, they're, they were all falling off the sticks. And the sticks were big. I was waving a stick for three quarters. <laughs> so I think if the Packers had said, you know, at the beginning of the game, we're going to have barrels when you leave at your exit row. Mm-hmm. Um, just put Drop them, them in there, put yeah. Them, pop them in there. People would have done that. We would have been glad to have a place to put them. Because there was no place, and half of them, I would say, were on the ground just because they fell apart. So I, I, I don't want to really blame the fans. And yes, were there some? Well, yeah, but that doesn't sure explain the ones that they find in the bathrooms, and it doesn't explain yeah, all the no, flags they find in the, the parking lot and stuff. But yeah. I, I just wanted to share what my experience sure. was, which a lot of them fell apart before. So should they not you know. do this in the future? Well, I think they can do it. I just think they should have had a protocol for disposing them with dignity and yeah. with respect. And I think if when you come in and they always have people, they're handing out programs, right. they could have said ahead of time, when you leave, if you're done with the flag, you're leaving early. We have, or we have a, coll- right, we have a collection it, bin or something, put them in there. Put yeah. them. And, and if I you don't want it, yeah. 80% of the fans would have put them there. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, thanks. I mean, I, and I think you're you're probably right. But before I let the fans off too easily, and let let's let's remove, let's take away the ones you're saying where the flag just just blew off, and so there's nothing you can do. You can't catch it. But but I do think, having been there, and like I say, a lot of times they give out other stuff. They'll give out towels that you can wave and things like that. I will tell you, when it comes to those things, I almost never people if they are if they're viewed as a souvenir. You know, there's something that's got the Packer logo on it, and you've got the towel that you're supposed to wave. I almost never see those on the ground or in the bathroom in the parking lot. So people figure out a way to deal with the towel that they want to take home as a souvenir. The American flag, well, okay, it doesn't have the Packers logo on it. It's not a souvenir. I think that explains some of some of what ended up happening. Let's talk to Bob in Waukesha. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Hi, Bob. Uh, good afternoon, Hi, Jeff. Bob. How are you? Good. Yeah, initially, I told you, Screener, initially I felt uh, uh, felt some disgust. I'm a Vietnam veteran. But but I think the more appropriate description of my feelings, I'm disappointed. I'm very, very disappointed. And and not unlike the promotion with the Brewers, with the baseballs, right. I don't think you'll see Green Bay do this again. Yeah, Um just because of the response that at least uh, at least a portion of the people who got the flags uh, because of their response, huh? Correct. And I think that the, you, the previous caller gave a reasonable uh, but a partial yeah. explanation. Yeah, I, I, right. I, I am sure that there was some some percentage of the flags where, like she talked about it, it blew away. But like I say, flags on the floor in the bathroom, flags on the urinals, flags all over the parking lot. That, that's just people who didn't want to carry them and threw them on the ground. That That's what that is, pure and simple. Yeah, You're correct. And happy Veterans Day to all the yeah. veterans. Yeah, Bob, thanks for coming. Again, I, I don't and, – and you hate to see this because it's well-intended, and I, I think – I agree with Bob that a lot of it, again, comes down to the execution of this as far as, okay, what is the potential downside? I'm sure the Packers are like, gosh, you know, we, we tried to do something good for, for Veterans Day. I, I do, again, go back to what I just said, though. 
just think if you've ever been at Lambeau Field, when they give out the, the stuff that's, that you take home as a souvenir, all right? You know, people can somehow figure out a way to get that souvenir schedule home or get the souvenir towel or get the souvenir whatever home. They couldn't figure out a way to get the souvenir American flag home. And some people, obviously, maybe it was just happenstance. It gets torn off in the wind. Other people just didn't care. And I, I think that is an unfortunate commentary. It's big story number one. Coming up next, a, a bad night for Republicans yesterday. There's no way to sugarcoat it. We'll discuss. Stick around. It's 1227. 1245, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This Saturday is Veterans Day, and WTMJ wants to say thank you. Join our John McCure at the Mineshaft Restaurant in Hartford for a special Heroes Breakfast from 8 to 10 on Saturday morning. Are you yourself a vet, or do you know someone who is and deserves an invite? Then head to the Mineshaft Restaurant Saturday morning between 8 and 10 and enjoy a delicious Heroes Breakfast on the house. It all starts at 8 o'clock Saturday morning with our John McCure, a special Veterans Day Heroes Breakfast with the Mineshaft Restaurant in Hartford and 620 WTMJ. Okay, look, let's not sugarcoat this. Last night was a bad night for Republicans. They lost the governorship or the race for governor in Virginia. They lost the governorship race in New Jersey. They lost a lot of down-ballot races across the country. Um, the question becomes, though, were, were these aberrations? Again, th- these were seats that the Democrats would have been favored to hold anyways. Was, was this the Trump effect playing out? 414-799-1620, Bill in Oconomowoc. Bill, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great topic, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, here's what I believe. Paul Ryan, if he stands against Trump, he walks right into the office again. If he stands with him, he's toast. Uh, Scott Walker, same thing. But I think it's going to be a lot harder for Walker than Ryan. Ryan can do it. He's done it before, and he can do it again. Walker's going to struggle. Walker's got so much backpedaling to do, I don't know if he'll make it. I really don't. The Foxconn thing, he's not even addressing now, and he's supposed to be proud of it. He needs to, Walker needs to say, I will stand on what I have done, Mm -hmm. and I won't endorse somebody like Trump. Because, remember, Walker had investigations. Walker uh, put people in place to shut him down. Uh, Man, it's too close. Well, I mean, here, well, well, Bill, here, here's what I, I, I let, me, let me say this. First of all, I, I don't think I, Paul Ryan is not in any sort of trouble at all. He, he's not. You've got this, you know, guy that's that's running for office and he's getting national attention. He, he's going to be lucky to get forty two percent of the vote. Paul, Paul Ryan is is not in trouble. Scott Walker, I think, will win re-election handily. What I think is the issue that people and some some of you aren't you're not you might not want to hear what I'm about to say, but this is this comes from. This comes from perspective of tough love, and it comes from somebody who has, you know, been watching the ebbs and flows of the conservative movement for a long time now. Um, I, I think while yesterday's results are, are not cause to jump over the cliff, they are warning signs. I mean, here here is the reality: you have an unpopular president. I understand there are some people that absolutely love him. I, I get that. But at the same time, that that's 35%. That's not enough to win a majority of Congress. It's it just simply not. 
And then on top of that, you have some people who are in that 35%, the Steve Bannons of the world, for example, who want to start their own Republican civil war, who want to go out and want to anoint candidates, you know, picking and choosing, well, this candidate is not ideologically pure enough. He's not enough of a Trump disciple or she's not enough of a Trump disciple. They haven't drank all the Kool-Aid. So what we're going to do is we are going to attack them. That is the recipe for electoral disaster. Republicans, first of all, need to unite. And, And what that means is there can't be a litmus test. If you have mainstream Republicans who disagree with some of the things the president, for example, is proposing, well, all right, that, that's not a basis. If those Republicans are the most electable candidates, that's not a reason to say, okay, well, we're not going to support them. We want to find somebody, again, that, that's just completely and totally you know, been drinking the Kool-Aid all along. What we need to recognize is the way Republicans win elections is, number one, by nominating conservatives. Number two, nominating conservatives who aren't kooky and on the fringe. And number three, nominating conservatives who have a a broad appeal, who can reach out to those independents. Because I know some people disagree with this, but I continue to believe that we are a center-right country. So, you know, there's got to be room in the Republican Party and the conservative movement for people who are not intellectually you know pure as far as oh you're not enough of a disciple of donald trump the the truth of the matter is that there's lots of people in the conservative movement right now and lots of mainstream republicans who are going to be running for office who aren't going to agree with donald trump on all the issues so we we need to instead of purging the party of mainstream republicans What we need to do is we need to embrace that, because if you just go with the ideological purists, what you're going to find is it's going to turn out to be an electoral debacle. Now, again, I'm not jumping over a cliff because of of what happened yesterday. But here's one of the lessons that the Democrats did not learn during the years of Barack Obama. When it comes to politics, Barack Obama was a force of nature. Barack Obama, however, was never able to translate his personal popularity into popularity for his policies or for, you know, other Democratic candidates. Now, Democrats did well in the wave elections, 2008 and 2012, where Barack Obama was on the ballot. Because what happened is you had a huge turnout, particularly in the African-American community, but you had a huge turnout in general of people who they, they weren't necessarily voting for Democrats. They were voting for Barack Obama. And if they happened to show up, they would also vote for Democrats. But, you know, in the other elections, when Obama was not at the top of the ticket, Democrats got waxed. And that's because his popularity never translated and Democrats never figured that out. To the extent that Donald Trump is a force as well, what I think Republicans need to recognize is that that whatever personal magnetism or charisma or voter appeal that Donald Trump has, that doesn't necessarily, just like Obama didn't have coattails, I, I don't think Trump is going to have coattails either. And Republican candidates, if they are going to be successful, 
if they're going to be successful, what they need to do is they need to figure out what their messages are going to be, how it is going to relate to their local constituents, and, and then and then go for it. And, and that's why I mean Scott Walker, Scott Walker is going to run a Scott Walker campaign. Okay, Walker's got all his own stuff to you know tout. I mean, Scott, if Donald Trump comes in to raise money or something, I'm sure Walker will take it. But but this isn't going to be about Donald Trump. Scott Walker is going to run a campaign focused on him. Republicans in Congress need to do that as well. And Republicans who are running for state assembly or state Senate, they need to do that. Because, again, just like Democrats, I think, failed when they tried to translate the overall charisma and popularity of Barack Obama into, well, electoral success for somebody running for state assembly. That didn't work. I don't think it's going to work with Trump either. Plus, the other reality, and this is something that Republicans have to figure out how to deal with, one of the reasons that the guy in Virginia won by eight points was because there was a huge turnout, again, in some of the collar counties in northern Virginia around D.C., the overwhelmingly Democrat areas where you had the um, the, the, the white-collar Democrats who, who showed up in large numbers, they turned out to vote as an expression. These are a lot of them are government workers, a lot of them are people who work in D.C. who showed up um, to express their displeasure with Donald Trump. You've got to realize that that's going to be out there. There's going to be people who are just like with Barack Obama. They were running through walls wanting to vote for Barack Obama, there's going to be people who are running through walls to try to vote against anybody who's associated with the Republican Party because Donald Trump is the president and he's Republican. I don't read too much into this one way or the other, except I do know this. If the Republicans allow themselves to get caught up and sucked into petty civil wars over who's a Trump purist and who's not, well, it's going to be a debacle. And in saying this, I'm not saying that you don't try to work with the president. You've got to work with the president to get things like tax reform done and all. I'm just saying that you can't necessarily drink all the Kool-Aid and get stuck into one of these things as the president comes out with foolish tweets, end up in a position where, you know, you're defending the foolish tweets. You have to be your own candidates, and you will be fine. 1255, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1258, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ, my favorite text of the day so far, who's producing the show. It's from Laura in Oostburg. She says, Jeff, I'm so glad to be hearing you in the afternoon. The world feels right again. It does feel right again. That, that, that could be coming from my wife as well. <laughs> absolutely. It's just, it does absolutely feel right again. I'm glad to be here noon to three. We're right in the middle of our three big things coming up right after the one o'clock news. Uh, the state Senate passes legislation which will send people who commit crimes who have been given another chance and have screwed up back to prison. And some people are wringing their hands about it. Stick around. That's coming up right after the news. It's 1259. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 109, Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. For everybody who is upset with Ted Thompson because they say he doesn't sign enough free agents, yeah, you need to do that. And and I've been one of those who've been critical from time to time. Uh, this Martellus Bennett, that's another example of, of how tough it is to hit home runs in there. This guy was going to be the savior and the great tight end, and yeah, look how great it was going to be. And he's just been awful for the first eight games, and he's been hurt. And uh, looks like that was not every, – and everybody thought this was going to be the great deal. This is the movement, and 
Doesn't look like it is turning out that way at all. Big story number three. If you are a regular listener to this program, you, you know that I routinely express frustration with the out-of-control crime in this area. There's just one example after another of this. And if you talk to people in law enforcement or you follow the stories, what you find is that the people who are committing the crimes, as a general rule, there are exceptions, but as a general rule, it is not their first time at the rodeo. It's people who have been given chance after chance after chance and who continue to commit crimes. You know, and that's it. I mean, and that's the frustration, you know, and, you know, we, we've you've heard if you listen to this, you've heard people have called in who have said, yeah, you know, my, my car got stolen and I, I, I they found it. And the police officer says, yeah, we, we know who took it. You know, he, he took another three or four cars two weeks before and he's back out on the street again. One of the justifications that Ed Flynn used to defend the indefensible, now abandoned no chase policy is he said, well, one of the reasons we didn't chase people is because once they got caught, nothing happened to them. The, the court system just turned around and sent them back out to commit more crimes and you know he made a point between the da's office and very very poor charging decisions and particularly around here a milwaukee county quote-unquote justice system that really it's it's a revolving door particularly with juveniles that sends people back out on the street to commit crimes it is an incredible source of frustration here's the bottom line most people most people are honest and do not violate the law, with the exception of an occasional speeding ticket or something like that. There, however, is a hardcore element of people who commit crimes over and over and over again. And my point has always been, for that hardcore group, it would be wonderful if we could figure out how to rehabilitate them, but but the truth of the matter is, they are going to be career criminals. They're going to be committing crimes, and just like alcoholics have to hit rock bottom and then make the decision they're going to stop drinking, um, and until they're ready to make that decision, there's nothing you can do really to force it. The same thing is true with criminals. A- until they make the decision that they're actually going to try to straighten up and fly right and do what ordinary people do, which is, again, make a living within the law, they're, they're going to just be committing crimes. And so at some point in time, you need to focus on the most important thing, which is how do you protect the rest of us from this hardcore criminal element? And that is something that you have judges that do a lousy job, particularly around here in Milwaukee. All right. One of the classic examples of that involves what happens when people who have committed crimes and so many crimes or such serious crimes already that they have either been placed on on parole so that means that they've done time and now they're on supervised they call it supervised release now but it but it's parole so you've done time you get back out you are on supervised release which means you are not supposed to commit any more crimes as a condition of your release. Or somebody that's come in front of some of these judges that, you know, again, like to slap people on the wrist, and instead of being sent to prison, you've been put on probation. So you've done something that either has you on probation or has you on supervised release slash parole. And typically, the people who are under these conditions, they've done lots of stuff in the past. 
right? Well, part of the problem now is you have people who are on parole or on probation who commit more crimes. They go in front of the same damn judges that didn't lock them up in the first place, and they commit more crimes, and they're not locked up. So the state Senate, on a party-line vote, we'll get to that in just a minute, on legislation pushed by State Senator Leah Vukmir, who's running for the Republican nomination for U.S. Senate, just enacted, or at least passed a bill yesterday, which would require the Department of Corrections. And these are these the people who are responsible for supervising the people who are on probation and parole. It would require the State Department of Corrections to recommend revocation of probation, parole, or extended supervision for anyone charged with another crime, such as a violent misdemeanor or a felony. So if you're on probation, you've been given that second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh chance, and you go out and you're accused, uh, you're charged with burglary or you're charged with aggravated assault, you would, the State Department of Corrections would be required to recommend that you go back to prison. You do not pass go, or you go to prison if you're on parole, right? This would result in more people spending more time in the Huskow. And you know what? I say good. Now, there is a cost to this, because it costs money to lock up criminals. And it's kind of a guessing game that the estimate now is it's going to cost $57 million, okay, to, to, to do that, to, to lock these people up. You have, unfortunately, Democrats who have decided that they don't want to lock criminals up. Chris Larson, who is this whacked-out lefty from Milwaukee, says, oh, this bill, we're, we're putting people in jail. It seems like it was written in a different era. The rest of the country is figuring this out. Why can't we? In other words, let's, we, we're, problem isn't that we're uh, not tough enough on crime. We're too soft on crime. Lena Taylor, who represents Milwaukee, Lena Taylor says the state needs to address root causes of crime. Okay, fine. Um, like trauma experienced by the city's young people. Um, she said that this is a pipeline to prison that wouldn't make the public any safer in the end. Well, look, I don't have problems with addressing root causes of crime. But my point is, once somebody has become one of the crime problems, yes, they need to be locked up. And I'll tell you what, if you have somebody who is out on parole or extended supervision or probation, and they go out and they carjack a car, you're darn right they should have a pipeline to prison. And that is will, in fact, make people safer. So let's tee this up, 414-799-1620. And unfortunately, and I understand some people don't like when we try to make uh, crime issues a partisan issue, but this is precisely what is happening here. You have a Republican majority in the state Senate who says, hey, we're sick of these criminals. And after people have been given chance after chance after chance, yes, if you are charged with committing a crime while you're out on some form of release, yes, you, you should go back to prison. Whereas you have the Democrats who are saying, oh, this is going to be a pipeline to prison. It's going to cost money. It's going to incarcerate people. Well, yes, that's the whole idea. If you've gotten out of prison and you've decided you're going to go carjack someone, yes, you should go back to prison. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This new bill could very well be a pipeline for people to go to prison. Is that a bad thing? 414-799-1620. That's what I don't get. I 
I don't know about you, but I want the repeat criminals who have been given the break of a lifetime by being put on probation or extended supervision or parole who can't keep their noses clean, who are committing violent misdemeanors or felonies, I want them back in prison. It is a public safety issue, and I think given the way we spend money in this state, $57 million to lock up repeat criminals is well worth it. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 118. This is our big story number three. It's 121. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Big story number three. The Wisconsin Senate, unfortunately, on and I say unfortunately because this was decided on a party line vote. And if you want to understand... Why Democrats are in the minority in the state of Wisconsin, it is because of issues like this. Average citizens care about crime. Average citizens want to be safe. Average citizens resent the fact that you can't load your car in a Walmart parking lot at 1.30 in the afternoon without people pulling up and robbing you. Average citizens resent the fact that you can't be walking out to your car in a parking lot of a Piggly Wiggly store in West Bend at 8.30 in the morning without having repeat offenders from Milwaukee coming up and hitting you and taking your purse and taking your car. That's what the frustration is. Now, I'm all about this whole idea of, of root causes, and if you can try to figure out what it does, to, what you can do to try to stop people from being criminals at the age of 12 and 13 and 14. I'm all in favor of it. I, I am. But that's for smarter people than me to figure out. All I know is that after you get to the point where people have made the decision to be the criminals, at that point in time, it becomes a public safety matter. And what we have to do is we have to put people in jail and we have to keep people in jail or in prison as a lesson, number one, to them and to others that there's consequences for bad behavior, but even more importantly, to protect the rest of us. How many times do we have these stories over and over and over again where it's somebody with an arrest record as long as your arm, convictions out the wazoo, who is out there committing these crimes? And the question is always, Why are they back out on the street? Well, this measure that passed on a party line vote with the Democrats deciding to stand up for the pro-criminal forces in this state, and that's what this was. Voting against this was a pro-criminal act. This was legislation which said, hey, if you're on parole, if you're on probation, if you're on supervision and you commit additional crimes, yeah, the Department of Corrections is going to recommend that you go back to prison or that your probation gets revoked. What, wh- why, is that, why is that suddenly controversial? Oh, my goodness, you're on probation for car theft. You go and engage in the carjacking. Of course you should go to prison. You violated the terms of your parole. I mean, this is common, and actually Dan makes the point. The left likes to talk about common sense gun control, but they never want to talk about common sense criminal control. That's exactly what this is. This is criminal control. And then you have people like Lena Taylor and Chris Larson who represent Milwaukee saying, well, this means poor people are going to be incarcerated. No, it doesn't mean poor people are going to be incarcerated. It means that the criminals who are preying largely on poor people are going to be incarcerated. But you know what? So what? 
124, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 126, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Wisconsin Startup Week means big opportunities for local entrepreneurs. Hear from County Executive Chris Abley on how the county is helping the startup trend. That's at 434 this afternoon during Wisconsin's afternoon news. Let's see, I have a text here. Ah, da, 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 da. I'm a Democrat. Lock them up. I'm so sick of these repeat offenders. Well, okay, then what you should be doing is you should be calling I don't know, state senators like Chris Larson and Lena Taylor and saying, we're sick of repeat offenders. I vote for people like you. Why is it that you are refusing to lock, you know, people up? I mean, why is it that you're deciding that? And again, keep in mind, this legislation that was going through the that's going through the Wisconsin legislature right now, it, it deals with people who have already undoubtedly had two, three, four, five, six chances. It deals with people who've done time, who are out on supervised release. Is it too much to expect that somebody who is on parole or supervised release, again, these terms are really interchangeable, um, for committing a crime that landed them in prison, which probably was the straw that broke the camel ba- camel's back because almost nobody goes to prison for the first th- offense that they commit unless it's something really, really terrible. So you have people that have lengthy criminal records. They've gotten out. They're back committing more crimes. Gee, I mean, really? It, it's so terrible that we're going to end up locking them up? I just, I don't think so. I mean, and, and of course, the crime is, is spreading. Another one of these stories that caught my attention um, – there, there, you might have heard if you were listening to the news this morning. There, there was a chase that led to a a car crash. Here, here's um, what ultimately happened. Apparently, there were there were people. There's two 15 year olds from Milwaukee. This was a school night, wasn't it? Two 15 year olds um, breaking into homes. They what they did is they were apparently trolling Whitefish Bay. Um, early this morning slash middle of the night looking for homes to break into. They found a car in somebody's driveway, and the car was unlocked, and then they found house keys. Apparently what happened is they, they apparently the people had left the key fob in the, in the car along with house keys. The car was unlocked. Um, the f- several 15-year-olds... Um, then used this to get inside the house. They found key fobs for another car that was in the garage, I guess. They committed a burglary. They drove away. A resident called 911 as the cars were pulling out of the driveway. Whitefish paid police began pursuing the fleeing cars. One of the stolen cars crashed in 14th and Keith. The other was found abandoned um, in Glendale. Two 15-year-old suspects were taken. 15-year-old suspects were taken into custody. What do you want to bet, again, that these 15-year-olds, that this was their, not their first time at the rodeo, that they just didn't wake up at 1 o'clock this morning and say, I know, let's go drive through Whitefish Bay, try to find unlocked cars so we can break into people's houses. Now, of course, the cautionary tale is, again, crime is so rampant, particularly with kids in Milwaukee who are committing crimes now spreading to the suburbs, that you do have to lock your cars. You've got to protect yourself because if it is not nailed down, it will be stolen and broken into. But it's 15 years old. It's 15 years old. What do you want to bet that these kids get treated with kid gloves and they're out within six months doing the same thing again? Did I say six months? I probably mean six weeks. Coming up in just a couple minutes, how much poop can one Canada goose poop in one day? 
136, Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. So, Gru, who's producing the show today and always, do you want to guess how many, how much poop a, a single Canada goose poops in one day? Well, okay, but that an eighth of its body weight doesn't help. I'm looking for a number. I mean, an ounce, six ounces, a pound. You say a half a pound. Okay, so you say a half a pound. Belinda says seven pounds. The answer is that you're both wrong. The average Canada goose, what I would describe as flying carp, the average Canada goose poops two pounds of poop a day, which is, in my opinion, an enormous amount of poop. All these things do is crap. I mean, and, and now, why are we bringing this up? Not during the lunch hour. Waited till one thirty. Okay, here, here's here's the deal. Uh, the other day, I was in a park, public park area, and there's just no other way to say this. It was disgusting. Not because people had left debris there, but it's because there were there's poop all over from these giant flying carp that were were out there and that's what i'm calling the the, the canada the, the canada geese um who used to be these these migratory waterfowl that used to like fly you know south in the winter and now they they hang around the the upper midwest they hang around illinois they hang around michigan they hang around wisconsin they go to golf courses they go to parks they go to people's backyards and they create a huge 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 mess um to give you an idea, I've got a story. I just pulled this. This is just the other day in Michigan. In 1970, they estimated there were about 9,000 of these these birds in Michigan. Now they estimate there's more than 300,000 of these Canada geese. And 78%, almost 8 out of 10 of every one of these birds, lives in the more heavily populated southern part of, of the state. The same thing ends up being true in Wisconsin. Now, these used to be completely and totally protected under the Migratory Species Act. You couldn't do anything to them. Now, they're they're protected, but not as much so. And, you know, in appropriate seasons, you could hunt them and things of the like. But so anyways, I'm, I'm in this park. There's goose poop, you know, all over. And I ended up because... I have this inquiring mind. I, I was talking to one of the people who, who work in, in the park, and they were telling me, yeah, it, it's it's a problem. It's been a problem. It's, it's getting worse. You know, we try to do things. You know, we've we've tried getting the dog to chase them, and, you know, that, that works for a while, and then they just come back. But it's one of these ongoing things where we are we are losing the battle. And I said, well, why don't you just, like, come in and get whatever permit you need to do and just eliminate them? And I was told, well, you know, we, we, we've looked at that, but first of all, you've got a lot of the people in the area who don't want that to happen because they think it's cruel to go and kill these things. And secondly, you know, our concern is that even if we eliminate all these, well, next year there's just going to be another batch in, to which I said, well, okay, then why don't we just eliminate that batch as well? I have an email, uh, one of our texts from somebody. Jeff, I'm so excited to hear your goose poop tease. 
I cannot stand these horrid creatures. They have destroyed our backyard, making it so full of poop. My children and I cannot play out there. My dogs can't be out there because they try to eat the poop. Yes, yes, Sasha does as well. And they have made our brand new $8,000 patio hardscape completely unusable. Nothing deters them. Please tell me someone is going to do something about it, making it legal to kill them. Well, it is legal, but only in the various hunting seasons. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. So I was talking about this again with the person at the park, and then I, I had this broader discussion with some people I know, including people who I would describe as animal lovers, and I was saying, it's just, it, we've got to get rid of these things. It, you know, look at what they are doing. This is something that... It's just changed over the years. Their migratory patterns have changed, and they're they're affecting quality of life. And one of my acquaintances was saying, oh, Jeff, oh, Jeff, it's not really that bad. You know, you're just, this is just, this is just an experience. You know, this one particular park probably has these problems. It's not that bad. All right. I said, well, let's find out. And I wanted to devote a segment on the program to this. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. I happen to believe it is that, that bad. And I think this is a major public health issue for a number of our communities, particularly some of these rural communities um, or areas where it might be urban, but you've got the green space that's out there. And, and yes, You've got these flying carp that do nothing but poop, and they leave two pounds of poop behind per day. <laughs> that becomes a public health issue, and yes, I think communities need to do everything we can to get rid of them. And a lot of the oh, let's try to let's try to see if we can work with these things and all. No, you you can't. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And if the choice is this lady who sends me the text being able to play in her backyard with her kids, or the geese being able to turn it into their private outdoor outhouse, I vote with a lady. 414-799-1620. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 142. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Two pounds. That's the answer. 145, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Phone lines and text lines have exploded. Uh, Scott in West Dallas says, I go through Jackson Park on the way home every day, and there are hundreds of them. We're talking about the, the, the Canada geese. You have to be careful not to run them over. It wouldn't be as bad, though, if people would stop feeding them bags of bread and whatever. Um, no wonder they don't want to leave. You know, he, he's actually right. That's anything to do with managing the, these pests. It starts with, you know, don't feed the Canada goose. Um, and we've got people who are doing the math. Yes, I, I believe me, I can do the math. Two pounds of poop every day. 365 days a year. Yes, that is a lot of poop. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kurt in Kenosha. Kurt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Um, I live about a half a block from a, uh, a half a mile from a, a park. And uh, me and my wife go walking down there most days. And uh, there's, they're just eating the grass in the park. Yep. But everywhere you go, you, when you're walking on the sidewalk, you have to you have to avoid the landmines, as I say. <laughs> and it's it's getting t- my guess is it's tougher and tougher to do that, you know, with all those birds down there. Yeah, yeah, because there's a little pond across the street, yep. and they come in the park and they feed, and then they fly over to the pond, and then they come back and eat again, and they're an eating machine. Yeah, right. That, that's. And, yeah, that, right. That's what that's what they do. They eat and they crap. 
<laughs> no, yes, no, no, thank, thank you. But I mean, I guess I was just so struck. I was in this public area, and you would have, I would not have allowed kids to play in there because it was just, it, there was just so much of this stuff. And, and I understand, I think there's a lot of frustration that, that's out there. Um, I, I know people. You know, who live in, in communities around golf courses and stuff. And what they've ended up doing is, you know, they, they, they hire a dog or two to try to scare them off. And that works for a while, but just, just a while. Bruce on the south side. Bruce, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Oh, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think, sir? Well, I remember twice, I believe, in the last uh, four to five years where I think the Parks Department worked with the DNR. And what they would do is they would locate the eggs. They would pour oil on them, they right. call it adeline, and uh, so the eggs wouldn't hatch, and then they would round up the others because they'll follow anybody with a piece of bread, Yep. and then they would uh, take and be processed, and then donate them to the food pantries. Yeah, well, that, that, that that's it, because, I mean... You know that that would part. We have this huge problem with hunger around here or in this area. I think that would be. I mean, I don't know what. I don't know whether goose meat makes good eating or not. But you know, it's, that's where I'd be starting off with this whole thing. Yeah. yeah I, and I know I, I think it might have been Greenfield Park uh, or another one with the golf course where they messed it up. You know, and they did the same thing there. And then you don't see the geese for at least a year. Yeah. Now you might have. I mean, it, it is. A, I mean, thanks to call. I mean, again, it, I, I appreciate the idea that this is a recurring problem that you get rid of them and unless you're active about it they end up coming back but you you cannot allow these things to take over you know our habitats i mean you you can't allow them to run rampant in a in a park area so that you know people can't use this and again i this isn't being anti well i guess it is being anti-bird you know these the people are asking about what their status was these used to be on the protected list they used to be like a a category 1 which was you, you can't touch them under the Migratory um, Waterfall Act, Waterfowl Act. Now they're like a Category Five, which means you know it's fair game on them. But but all the other rules apply. You know the other rules uh, apply. You know you can't hunt them out of season or things like that. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Lisa in West Bend. Hi Lisa, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Hi Jeff, I'm on the uh, Parks Committee for our little community, and we had the same problem, and. My husband and I were down in Milwaukee walking along the river there getting a bite to eat, and they had all these owls on posts with these little bobbing heads. And we asked, what is that all about? And the, the little restaurant told us, well, to keep the geese away. So being on the parks committee in my little community, <laughs> we went and got an owl, posted it on our little um, deck that we have right on the water, and we do not have any geese. Really? We used to go down there with my grandchildren and in their sandals, and they'd have to hop and skip around <laughs> the poop. It was terrible. And since we put it in two years ago, no geese. Just one fake owl? One fake one owl? owl. Huh, huh. One fake owl. I went and bought it at Fleet Farm. <laughs> so, I mean, it's worth a try. It worked for us in our little village of Newburgh. Right, and there's nobody, and there's nobody that can be upset about. It. I mean, see that the, the problem. And I, look, I was talking to this guy, and I appreciate. It. He said, you know, you know, we we have this huge problem here, but if we try to take, you know, the drastic measures, then we get some people who are upset, saying, "Oh, these poor birds. What are you going to do? Kill them?" And which my answer would be yes. But at least if the fake owl scares them off, you're getting some traction there, huh? Right. So no geese in Newburgh, huh? That is correct. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Michael. Well, okay. That that's that's it. Of course. 
the uh, let's see Newburgh. Um, okay, right by Sockville then. So that that the fake owl, the fake owls in um, in Newburgh are just scaring them over to to the Sockville areas. But but. They're not creating a problem. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I love my apartment, but they have these two ponds out back that attract the Canadian geese. They're out there right now. Right. And and I feel very bad for the groundskeeping professionals because <laughs> they're out there this morning. And I can see all these like marks from, um, from where they had cleaned off a, a certain item. And the, yeah. uh, there's a part of my porch that's, like, all green. Uh, uh, I'm sorry to get too grass. No, no, no. But, no, I we, I understand. So, I mean, well, it, it is. It, and at some point, see, it's a health problem um, as well as an enjoyment problem. And, and, and it's just this is a huge issue around here. And I think people need to start standing up and saying we, we've got to start doing something, whether it's putting the fake owls out or, or whatever. You've you got to be aggressive um, about this. No, thanks for the call, Jeff. And that's and I guess that that's kind of the point. And this is a bad time of year because they're moving. But but they're not even they don't migrate like they used to. I mean, 30 years ago, like I say, in, in 1970s, I was looking at the story out of Michigan. You had a few thousand. Now you've got 300,000. That tells you the scope of the problem. Kathy in Grafton. Kathy, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, I, have a, I had a cousin who had a cottage on Legend Lake up in Kashina. Sure. And she had a huge, huge front yard that led up to the lake. And we had the uh, goose problem, too. Right. Slipping and sliding and falling, and so (laughs) what we figured out, and it actually worked, is we bought little. um, They're called like pinwheels that kids used to use. You know, that blow in the wind. um, Right. Little pinwheels, and we put them all along by the shore on the grass, and we never had a goose problem after that. Huh. So we got the fake owls in Newburgh. We, we use the we'll use the pinwheels and graft and mm-hmm. and we'll we'll have all those geese settling in Sockville then, huh? Well, I, I hope not. <laughs> yeah, got it. <laughs> thank, thank you so th- much. Th- thanks for the call. I um just you know that that'll that'll end up working here. Let's see. Um, here Rick in New Berlin says goose meat is yummy. <laughs> it's all right. I see. I, I don't I don't know that I've ever had goose meat, but you know, I mean, this is. But Thanksgiving is coming up. I mean, there's, there's. I'm not saying that I'm going to replace my turkey, but there's. Look, there's a lot of people who, you know, meat is meat, is, isn't it? There, just, just. What do you want to say, Gru? Okay, okay. Well, okay. So my my producer Gru is now he, he's getting sort of like environmentalist on me. He says, like, think about what they eat. They eat cigarette butts and all these type of things. Well. Okay, you know, have you seen what have you seen what fish eat? I mean, for goodness sakes, I, I try not even to think about. You, you know what goes into hot dogs? For goodness sakes, um, in any event, this is my little bit of information for the day. Um, and everybody's our text line is exploding with people doing the math, saying, "Really, two pounds a day?" I mean, you, imagine if I imagine if a imagine if a human did that, and how much poop the human would be producing. And, it, and trust me, it, it is big numbers. But um, this is it. It is it is an ongoing problem. And I think communities, one of the ways they try to control it is with, like, the hunts and stuff like that. That is not working. That's the serious thing. That's not working, and I think we need to be more aggressive about that. It is a matter of public health. 155, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 158, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. People are now texting me. 
pictures of public areas overrun by geese. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Needless to say, this is a hot-button issue. I, I, my producer, Gru, said, what are we going to be talking about when uh, he saw the show run down? I said, explain to me, what what this, what are you going to be saying about Canada geese? geese the, the, uh, Canada, Canada geese. I said, trust me on this one. It'll be something that people can relate to. <sighs> Motorist charged Tuesday with driving more than a dozen miles the wrong way on I-43 through two counties at speeds of 130 miles an hour when Daniel J. Kristopich of Lake Mills was finally stopped by Milwaukee County Sheriff's deputies who had chased him for miles, repeatedly flashing their emergency lights and a spotlight to get his attention. He was told he had been traveling on the wrong side of the interstate. Really? He said, according to the criminal complaint, um, he got on the southbound portion of the freeway at Locust, headed north on October 30th in a blue Honda, 2.45 a.m. They chased him for 12 miles. It is nothing but a miracle, miracle that he did not kill people. He was driving 120 miles an hour, and I understand that the Chris Larsons and the Lena Taylors of the world aren't going to like this, but you know what? This guy belongs in prison for a while. Just saying. All right, coming up right after the news. Here's the tease. One word. Woo! Stick around. It's 207. This is Jeff Wagner. I have always thought of myself as somewhat of a Renaissance guy. I, I've, I've been to the ballet. I've been to the symphony. I've been to Carnegie Hall. I, I've, I've attended cultural events of all sorts, shapes, sizes, and description. I also grew up watching professional wrestling. I've told this story before. My, Blender, you're laughing. My grandmother, to the day she died, to the day she died, you could never convince her that professional wrestling wasn't, the results were not predetermined. I, I mean, when I was a little kid, we, we moved out here when I was about like nine years old, and, and I was born in Baltimore, Maryland. And what would happen is my, my mom and dad, they would take me over to my grandmother and grandfather's house. They had a row house in Baltimore, Maryland, and they would you know, go out on Saturday nights. I'd stay overnight. They'd pick me up on Sunday. And my grandmother would like make dinner, and we'd sit with TV trays in the living room. They had a black and white TV set in the living room, and we'd watch professional wrestling. And my grandmother, it was Bruno Sammartino and Bobo Brazil, and my grandmother, she'd scream, Oh, turn around, referee! She would just completely and totally get into that. And so... I started, I came by my affection for professional wrestling early, started at five years old. We moved out here to Wisconsin, and I grew up on the American Wrestling Association, the AWA, the Crusher, the Bruiser, Mad Dog Vashon, the Bo- his brother, the Butcher, you name it, Jesse the Body Ventura, who went on to become the governor of Minnesota, uh, Vern Gagne, of course, his son Greg. I, I, I went to the old, it's now the Milwaukee Theater, it used to be the Milwaukee Auditorium, we, we would go to wrestling matches. I, so, I mean, I, I've been to the ballet. I've been to the symphony. And you know what? I think I like going to the old Milwaukee Auditorium to watch the guys wrestle. In the, yeah, it was a cage match and stuff. I, I can remember that. I, I enjoyed it. Um, and then in the early years of the WWF, the Hulk Hogan and the Randy Savage years, I, I watched that as well. Went to a couple of those shows and stuff. And then I sort of grew out of it. Um, I'm reliving my, Belinda, I'm actually reliving my misbegotten boyhood because my producer grew. He was at, he was at a live wrestling match in Milwaukee a week ago. So, you know, birds he, of a feather. Birds of a feather. Absolutely. That's it. Birds of a feather. Not, can it, not Canada geese, but otherwise we are birds. We are birds of a feather. Now I bring this up. Because 
Last night, ESPN does these things called 30, um, 30 for 30. And they're, they're a series of, they're like documentaries. And a lot of them are really good. Some don't have that much interest in me, but a lot of them are really good. Anyhow, the one that they debuted last night, they've been talking about for quite a while, and it featured who arguably might be the greatest professional wrestler ever, Ric Flair, who's from Minnesota originally, who, you know, went on to have this incredibly successful career. You know, he was at all these different wrestling leagues and generally regarded, you know, in, in the 80s, the heyday of professional wrestling. Um, you had Hulk Hogan, you had Ric Flair, and you were either a Hulk Hogan guy or you were a Ric Flair guy. And this was, it was a fascinating 90-minute documentary on, on Ric Flair's life and career and, um, Four wives and bunch of kids and just life on the road. And at one point in time, we were doing this earlier. He, he claims he claims to have slept with ten thousand women. Now you do the math on that one, you know, and it, it's just mind-boggling. But it was life on the road, and and there were all these wrestlers who were being interviewed and all. And and it's if you if you grew up in the era that I did and you watched this stuff, uh, I mean, they're going to show it a million times, and I'm sure it's available on demand. It was just it was just absolutely fascinating to look at this guy's, you know, career, warts and all, you know, and and there's a lot of there's a lot of wrestlers that didn't make it that long. I mean, there there's older people and there's wrestlers. There's not a lot of older wrestlers because, again, it's it's a tough lifestyle and a lot of them develop injuries and they develop drug and alcohol problems and people die driving around on the road with all the travel and stuff. But it was absolutely it was just a fascinating documentary to the point that I was watching it with, with my wife and she, trust me, my, my wife is not a professional wrestling fan at all, but she was fascinated by this. I mean, she was just drawn and going, how do they do this type of stuff and what was this guy's life like at all? And it was just, again, I highly, if, if you grew up, if you grew up watching this stuff, I highly, highly recommend it. And I, I've been actually kind of reliving my boyhood as I've been thinking about this. And you know, kind of they, they sort of peel the curtain back and you see the guy, you know, behind the scenes and you see all the stuff that goes into making this character and this persona. And then you also see the real guy and you understand um, in the case of this particular wrestler, Ric Flair, um, his his character kind of took over his real life, which is why. You know, you end up with four wives and you end up with this this lifestyle that ultimately you can't support and you end up with, you know, very little money at the end. You go, my God, this guy was this was as big as there was in the industry. And now they're saying he's, you know, broke and that type of stuff. I wanted to spend one segment, though, talk taking a walk down memory lane, because I understand that, you know, we talk about politics and we talk about crime and things like that. But I also like to talk about pop culture and especially things that a lot of us can relate to as part of our lives. I am willing to bet that I'm not the only person that went to, you know, some of these matches at the arena or the auditorium or, or followed some of these wrestlers around or, you know, grew up watching this. And, and, and again, for a lot of us, we end up outgrowing it at some point in time. But it doesn't mean we don't look back fondly on, on a lot of the entertainment that goes on. So just one segment, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line in recognition of this incredible documentary. And even if you're not a pro wrestling fan, I encourage you to watch it because you, you just you, you kind of – See what this life is, is like. And if you, for people who would aspire to have it, you can see the good things and you can have the bad things. But I thought we just, maybe just one segment. All right.
the greatest pro wrestler ever. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. And, and by this I mean, I don't know, just like the best entertainer. And this thing last night, I mean, Flair is talking about how, in addition to, he claims that on any given day, he would drink 10 beers and five mixed drinks, seven days a week, literally every day for decades. Huh. And you wonder why these guys don't age particularly well. But, I mean, he would talk about how hard he would have to work to, you know, perfect the moves. And you're wrestling in these little towns every night. And you're traveling. And, and how hard you'd have to work to learn how what's going to appeal to the crowd. Um if he wasn't the greatest, who was? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. Well, let's take a walk down memory lane. It's two fifteen. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Two seventeen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. My producer grew. Who doesn't know? These are legends that people are talking about. Are you also surprised that there's so many women? Recall. Okay, our first two texts. Uh, Stephanie, I loved wrestling when I was a kid too. It was so great. And I have a text here. This is Lisa. I loved the Ultimate Warrior. I was a teenager when he was big. I thought he was so cute. Yeah, see, that's it. The 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 guys, the guys always wanted to be like the wrestlers, and the the girls always wanted to be with the wrestlers. Yeah. Now, of course, you've got the the gals that wrestle as well. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. All right. I was watching this Ric Flair documentary. If you're just tuning in, why aren't we talking about Donald Trump? Well, I was watching this Ric Flair documentary that they're airing on ESPN. I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And as somebody who grew up watching professional wrestling, I thought we'd talk about some of the best wrestlers that were there. Matt in Caledonia. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> I want you in the cage. <laughs> the crusher. Oh, Reggie Lasowski, right, from Are south, from kidding? the south side. Yeah. Yeah, I had two younger brothers, and I don't know if it was Sunday nights or whatever. My folks would turn it on, and We'd all jump around the living room practicing the moves <laughs> on each other. It was great. Yeah, it's, and it was just it was just it was just one of these sort of fun and, and things and right, you know, you, you got the crusher and he's gonna be wrestling mad dog Rashawn down at the Milwaukee the air conditioned Milwaukee Arena auditorium. Come on down and check it out. Baron von Roschke with the claw. Uh, okay, Matt, this is this is a true story. This is just between you and me. Yeah. At, at my at my at my cubicle over here in AM programming. I have an autographed picture of Baron von Roschke up on oh, my. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. Yeah. Now you might wonder where I got. No, my um, my brother-in-law Dave. He was at uh, he was at Baron von Roschke, who's actually a gym teacher out of Minnesota. Um, he was uh, he was at uh, some autograph signing, and my brother-in-law Dave got me a personalized autograph from the Baron. I've got it up on I've got it up on the wall of my cube. Uh, let's talk to Bob in Wind Lake. Bob, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. I watched I watched the second half of that Rick Flair thing, and I thought it was sad. But my favorite wrestler, Dusty Rhodes. Yep. But here's the best story. We used to go every Saturday to my grandfather's, and we were probably seven, eight years old, and my brother was one year older than us. And he would always turn it on for us because we'd want to watch it. And he would argue with us the whole program that it was fake. <laughs> and we would be telling him, no, no, look, they're going to kill the guy. He's going to live. And, right. Oh, I'll never forget.
forget uh, it as long as I live. Oh, wasn't it just wasn't it just hysterical? No, and and oh. did you if you were watching that thing? You know, they had a big thing on on Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. How they had the the great you know they were great competitors and they were great friends and stuff. No, that's um, now thanks for no D- Dusty Rhodes, um, son of a plumber, Virgil Runnels, I think was his real name. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's talk to Joyce and Shawno. Hi, Joyce, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Well, hi. I'm 75 years old, and my dad lived with us in the 80s. So I always watched wrestling as I was growing up with him, and then he lived with us, so we were forced to it. I would take him to wrestling matches and sit there in the front row, and he just loved it. But his favorite was Larry Zabisky. Zabisco. Larry Zabisco, sure. Yeah, and I think he was Polish, which my dad was, too. So <laughs> that was the reason he loved him. But we would say, Dad, it's fake. It's fake. And he'd go, no, it's oh, not. Oh, my, my grandmother. It's my grandmother. She would argue with me, and, you know, and it's and to her dying day. No, they, now, in, in fairness to these wrestlers, to say it's fake is, is really to kind of do them a disservice. It, it, do they play characters? Is it choreographed? Is it scripted? Yeah. But, I mean, those falls these guys take and the body slams and stuff and the banging around, that's that's real. Larry Zabisco, um, who finished up in the AWA, but he was – he oh um he was big with um, he and Bruno Sammartino they used to he he was like Bruno's protege who turned bad guy on him yeah I, I remember him Larry Zabisco was actually married to Vern Gagne's daughter how do I know this stuff well I don't know maybe I would have been a I would have done better in school if I'd spent less time more time on the books and less time uh, watching professional wrestling four one four seven nine nine one six twenty let's talk to uh, Let's see. We've got uh, Ross in Cudahy. Hi, Ross. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Ross. Um, yeah, just something to relate it to this time of year. Junkyard Dog was actually a Green Bay Packer. I can't remember what his first name was. It was something Sylvester, I think. Oh, okay. And uh, Lex Luger, who the Junkyard Dog's dead, Lex Luger, he had a tryout. He was a lineman, tried out for the Packers, didn't end up making the team. But, yeah, a lot of these wrestlers were like football players who didn't make it, and then, you know, <laughs> this was their second yeah. career. Yeah, and I, my wife actually, she's not a wrestling fan, but she's a uh, reality TV fan. She actually watches the Bellas and Total Divas, and then I was sitting there watching it with her one day, realizing Jim the Anvil Nightheart's daughter is on the show. And, <laughs> uh, but my, my favorite was always Hulk Hogan, but I think the most successful guy ever has got to be The Rock. Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. Well, he's he's certainly, as far as crossovers, a guy who started in wrestling and now is, you know, one of the big Hollywood box office guys, it would probably be tough to see anybody who's had a bigger crossover than him, The Rock. Yeah. yeah. They, they do a real good one uh, skit on Saturday Night Live when he hosted with Bobby Moynihan where they're standing there doing the pre-fight interview and saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to rip you apart. And the Rock <laughs> just weirdly gets personal. <laughs> if you ever look it up, it's funny. Oh, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? No, thanks for the call. I'm, I'm not proud that I know this, mind you, but it's just you kind of do. John in Menominee Falls. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, this brings a lot of memories <laughs> back because, well, I was pretty young, so I didn't get to go to any of the of the uh, live events. But right. used to watch on television every Every Saturday morning or Saturday night or whatever, Saturday, sure. Yeah, it was a Saturday night after church while <laughs> Mom was making dinner. Um, and I liked uh, Wahoo McDaniels, just uh, I think right. that's right. Yeah. The, with the Tomahawk 
chop. <laughs> yeah, and, right. the, uh, the stereotypical. I mean, nowadays you couldn't do that because the Native yeah. American community would go absolutely nuts. But yeah, Wahoo McDaniel. No, thanks. He actually talked about crossover. Wahoo McDaniel was a. Uh, he played football. He was a linebacker for the New York Jets back in the. Uh, Back before you had the NFL and the AFL, before they had the merger, he would. I don't know how I know this, but trust me, he he was a linebacker for the New York Jets as well. Let's talk to Chuck on the South Side. Chuck, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey Jeff, I lived in Minneapolis for a year in nineteen eighty one, and a buddy of mine lived on Prior Lake, Minnesota, and we went boating on Prior Lake. My buddy goes, "Hey, there's this guy over there waving to us. Let's go say hi to him." We go over there. Sure enough. It's Baron Von Rossi. <laughs> we go over there. He invites us up. We have beers with him. We're drinking with him. He's the nicest guy you yeah. ever want to meet. Yeah. I mean, he gave us hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> and he served you beer. No, that's it. Thanks, right? I mean, he was a he's, he was a gym teacher. I mean, Vern Gagne, who was the the guy that owned the American Wrestling Association, who was the champion. He um. You know, it was, it was based out of Minneapolis, so you had a lot of these guys. Baron von Roschke was a gym teacher at one of the schools, and he, he ended up, you know, he, he kept his job for years and years and went went on the road. Uh, let's talk to, let's see, um, we, we've got Mary in Milwaukee. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Hi, Mary. Hi. I like, of course, being the South Sider, the Crusher. Right. And Dick the Bruiser. Right. But... Milwaukee fans did not like Nick Bockwinkle <laughs> or Bobby the Brain Heaton because Nick Bockwinkle would talk about Milwaukee women wearing ankle socks and babushkas. <laughs> Bobby, you know, Bobby the Brain Heaton passed away a couple weeks ago after a long bout, bout with cancer. It, it's just, okay, I jam phone lines and their text line is just exploding. Um, it, it's just... I, I understand it is just if you grew up around here, this is kind of one of our shared parts of our experience. And that, that was the AWA, which was like the 70s and the early 80s. Then, of course, you had the, the consolidation, and then you had the, the two big leagues. One was with Ric Flair based a lot in the south with the National Wrestling Association. Ted Turner ended up buying that. And then you had the WWF, now the WWE, um, which was Vince McMahon's thing with the Hulk Hogan stuff. But what a... Just what an interesting life and what interesting characters. And um, again, if you if you have a chance to watch this documentary, and like I say, they're going to air it a lot of times. I, I do. I encourage you to do it. And like I say, even if you're not a wrestling fan, my wife, trust me, not a wrestling fan, but she was kind of drawn in because it's 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 not just about wrestling. It's about like the lifestyle and how you know the the, the what you pay for the price of success. Best wrestler ever, my guy. I might have been Macho Man Randy Savage. I, I he was great. Ricky Steamboat was great. Ric Flair was great. I was never really as much of a Hulk Hogan guy, but um, ah, the, those were those were the days. And of course, being from Milwaukee, you gotta love the Crusher. It's two twenty-seven. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Two forty-five. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Okay, wide range of opinions here. Clint sends me a text. I don't think the drinking age should be lowered in the state of Wisconsin. We have people in their 50s who can't drink responsibly, so I can't imagine that a 19-year-old would make better choices. Well, yeah, but, I mean, is there something magic about 21 as opposed to, to 19? And, again, I, I maybe I'm just being informed by the fact that you know, the drinking age was 18 when I turned 18, and 
and and yes, were there people that abused alcohol? But I don't know that I thought there was anything magic about 18. Uh, here's another one of our texts. My son and nephew are in the Army. They can die for their country, but they can't have a beer. Newsflash. These kids do it unsafely in private homes without a license. Yeah, see, that's... That's always, again, been one of my points, especially for, you know, kids who kids who are, are in college. I mean, I, I think I, I think we are naive if we believe that, you know, kids who are freshmen and sophomores at UW whatever aren't aren't drinking. I, I think that's a naive thing to think of. And I, I, I think you could make an argument that, again, by allowing kids to go to the clubs and things like that, you diminish the, the binge drinking because you don't eliminate it, but you diminish it. Barb in Menominee Falls. Barb, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I totally agree with what you're saying. I have teenagers, uh, one daughter who is 19 and right. a freshman in college, and I know she drinks. Now, yeah. she's away at college, so... You know, I don't want to know it because I yeah. think that she should follow the law and, and drink until or right. she's 21. But my husband is under the law. I was 18 when I grew up, so he doesn't <laughs> care. So if it is lowered, um, I think that would be fine. I also think that the people, the kids that uh, are going to drink are going to drink anyways. Right. You're going to have those that don't want to drink at all, and, and that's fine. Well, you know, and but, I, I just tell you, Barb, this puts you in a... You are one of the people I have in mind is, is kind of being in this trick box. Okay, so your daughter is 19. She's away at college. You know she's drinking. You know, you're, you're, yeah. you, you've hoped you raised her right. She's drinking responsibly and things like that. Okay, she's going to come home this summer. She's going to, you know, hang out with her friends and stuff. She's going to be coming over. Maybe they're going to come over to your house in the basement. Maybe they're going to go to some other friend's house. But now, you know, now you're in this position of, well, I don't want to let, I know they're not supposed to drink, but I know they do drink. And so now you've got to try to police your 20 or 20, you know, well, your 19 right. or 20-year-old daughter. And it's it's a, probably a nightmare, I would imagine. It, it, even last summer it was a nightmare and yeah. so I, yeah yeah no um no no thanks again and that, that i mean again that that's this issue and i'm i want people to understand i'm not i'm not promoting irresponsible drinking but i i just i i think that there is this reality here that you know people people are drinking and I guess I think that there's a lot of benefits by just acknowledging that and, and getting it sort of out in the open and then kind of moving forward on that. And I guess I don't I don't know that there's going to be any – I'm not convinced that making it 19, for example, as opposed to 21, is going to lead to any more irresponsible driving or, or whatever. People have to learn how to drink responsibly. And, and whether it's a 19-year-old drinking age or a 21-year-old drinking age or an 18-year-old drinking age, you you got to learn how to drink responsibly. Sue in Waukesha. Sue, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, ma'am. So I have the perspective that right now I have two daughters that are house fellows up in Madison, and they are dealing with freshmen and hard alcohol like you and I don't even know. Right. They are filled with, you know, they call them handles, the big bottles of alcohol. And when I was a student in Madison, the worst you would have is a half barrel at somebody's house. And right. Yeah, kegger. Yeah. Right. And so and, what? it's people you know, like, it's people that are, are getting them somehow, uh, and then they're smuggling them into the dorm rooms and things like that, huh? Exactly. And right. they don't. it's unsupervised. It's yeah. not in a bar where somebody can cut you off. And they are constantly calling detox to pick up these kids because they drink so much. Yeah. And I know the argument is that since they raised the, driving, or the drinking age, drunk driving has decreased. 
But I really think that has more to do with education, yeah. with drunk driving, because in my day, we really didn't have any education on drunk driving like they have now. Right. It was it was the joke. Now, going back before our time, but remember you had like the, the Andy Griffith show where Otis the town drunk. That was that was yeah. we, we laughed at that. No, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think I don't I don't think it's the. 18, changing the drinking age, really. I mean, I, I think you're right. It's education. But, you know, you, you make the, the point that I, I just really believe. I mean, look, when, when, you're, when you're a freshman in college or whatever, I'll give you the guy's perspective. You want to meet girls, right? You, you want to go. Yeah. You want to be able to socialize. And if you could go and have a few beers and go to the bar and dance and or I didn't dance, but, you know, but, <laughs> but you know, you, that, that's what you, you'd end up doing because you want to go out right. and socialize and hang out with your friends and, and have a couple beers or whatever. Now you're, you're going to those parties and you're getting those red cups and you're drinking God knows what. Exactly. And there is no other real option to socialize besides getting together and sharing a bottle of alcohol. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, it gets there's, there's different activities, but that the, the reality is the college kids, that's what they're doing. That that is. No, right. thank th- thanks for calling. I guess I just don't I, that now the one thing that I am sympathetic to and and the other problem I have with this is the the uniform standard does keep people off the roads. Uh, I mean, I, I do think it's kind of insane, the situation like I was talking about that I kind of grew up in where, um, okay, one state is 21, one state is 18. Here, let's get a bunch of kids from the college. Let's pile in the cars and let's drive 25 miles so we can go buy liquor or whatever. The uniform standard makes a lot of sense to me. But putting that aside, I think 19 is a reasonable level. Jack in Fort Atkinson. Jack, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I just want to call and mention my ideas of what the drinking age should be. Um, first of all, I'm, I had 34 years in law enforcement, so I went through all the different tiers of ages for drinking. I think what the law should be is that a person that's 19 years of age and 20 years of age should be able to go into a local licensed bar and consume the beer or alcohol, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. However, to be out of a liquor establishment, you have to be 21. And what this does is it keeps the 19-year-olds from getting and 20-year-olds from getting beer and alcohol into younger people's hands, but yet they still have a place to go and drink, hopefully responsibly. Mm-hmm. So the idea being, you you go again, you you buy you buy into what I'm talking about with the responsibility thing. You go to the supervised stuff, but you don't allow them to take the packaged goods out. Huh? That's an interesting and, variation. I got to think about that. Huh? And that's and that's what the colleges most of them are 19, 20, and they can yeah. go to all the bars, but they can't be in possession of the alcohol outside of a, a licensed establishment. Right, and see, and that's why I, I've always kind of concluded that 19 makes more sense than 18, again, simply because if, if you if your goal is to try to keep booze out of the high schools, that 19 is easier because if it's 18, that means the seniors are drinking. Now, I mean, that's, that's, i got to think about that because, I, I mean, I, I, I remember Melissa Barkley. You know, when I, I turned 18, my birthday is in May, when I turned 18, drinking age was, was 18. Uh-huh. You know where I had my first beer? The place is still here. Oh, my, gosh. My, my I would first, have no idea. My first legal beer, I should say. My, <laughs> I was going to say, we my won't first, talk about all my those first, ones. My, well, yeah, my first <laughs> legal beer, Major Goolsby's downtown, right across from the now across from the Bradley Center. Oh, that was, nice. That was, no, we had a, 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 a bunch of us. I'm... 
I'm I, I'm I'm sure we didn't cut class. I, I'm sure they must have like called off class that afternoon in honor of my birthday or something. But no, I remember my buddies and I. We all went down to went down to Major Goolsby. I couldn't I even tell you my first legal beer or first legal <laughs> drink. I, I don't have no no idea where that was even at. Ah, well, it's, that's I'm, so funny. You remembered that, and I probably not, remember my first illegal beer. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm, I'm not I'm not proud of the fact that I remember yeah. that. But I mean, no, it was just. But that 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 was kind of it. But I mean, we were in high school at the time. That's why we're talking about this proposal for nineteen mm-hmm. nineteen. Makes a little bit more sense to me than eighteen, but uh, no, Major Goolsby's, Major Goolsby's. That was my first, first, and Major, Major Goolsby's is still there all these years later. How about that? It must have been my patronage, patronage that helped him out. It is two fifty four. John McCure is in next. Stick around.